So today we'll be looking at Habakkuk chapter 2 verses uh, 6 to 20. And so whenever God gives me a burden for a certain message, uh, I'm not preaching because I want to preach this message. And I'm not simply proclaiming to you, but I'm proclaiming to the land of Honduras. And so for this reason, Zephaniah must be proclaimed. I could have just finished with just Habakkuk. Because honestly, there's much to do with you. Honestly, yesterday, we I wanted to go deeper into... Uh, the real, I wanted to go deeper into uh, law and grace because I see that many of you have this confusion regarding law and grace. And this is something that we need to go through the book of Galatians. But when I proclaim the word, though I may be going home, God is here. Because He is here, He will formulate this and plant this in you. And so what you need to pray for, that, that the truth that is being proclaimed in your ministry will be translated into Spanish. Uh, for the past several years, there is a pastor in Paraguay who has been translating. But there have been many attacks. And then also he has his own ministry. And so he, he has not made good progress. Uh, he has only translated about six different books. And so we are looking for someone who can dedicate their lives to coming to Korea, living with us, training with us, and translating the word. So it would be great if you could speak English, but it is not a prerequisite. Okay, it's been translated into English and into Chinese. And so please pray that someone would be, that God would provide someone to translate into Spanish. And so just as Costa Rica, uh, Pastor Francisco is beginning in NB, now also pastors are going to gather here in Honduras to begin NB. And so if our leaders in your nations rise up, then maybe we'll start here in La Ceiba, or maybe in San Pedro Sula. In every city, we want MB that can train and equip the pastors for this nation. Because it's really important to establish the remnant. And after this conference, I may be returning home. But all the words that have been proclaimed in this conference is flowing through Honduras by God. And some of you are riding this current. And I can see that some of you, you are being shaken by the words that is being proclaimed. Even though this is the first time you may have heard this sermon, this word is entering into you and meeting with the word that dwells within you. 
And so God has done amazing things. And so I and so please pray that in Honduras there would be an MB established to train pastors. But we're going to be looking at the most important section of Habakkuk. And as you receive this word in faith, the word that came, the spirit that came upon Habakkuk is also coming upon you as well. And because the word of God is life, the spirit that has been poured out that transcends time can also be poured out upon you. So if you eat the word of Isaiah in faith, then the spirit that came upon Isaiah also flows in you. This means that the spiritual color of Isaiah may be manifest in you exactly as it is and that you can live the way Isaiah did. And so from this perspective, it's important to be to embody the Word of God. That, the, that in your body, uh, this Word needs to be embedded. This isn't out of your efforts, it's not out of your works. But because we are new covenant beings, this Word is in my spirit and in my mind. All we have to do, all that is the problem is that it's not loosened in my body just yet. And so we need to loosen that word in my character. And what that means is that, that you need to allow that word to move you. Why is it not loosened in you? Because you've been living in the flesh. And because you have embodied the fleshly life. And But now we have to live by the Spirit that just as this towel is a reality, that, that the spiritual life is also reality, it's real. And so you need to live out spiritually from now on by continually meeting with Him. And that's actually how God originally created Adam. And so Jesus came to this earth to once again give us that righteousness again so that you would meet with God. Meet with God who is in the eternally present. And so through the cross, we meet with Jesus Christ in the present at the cross. And so all the grace, the merits of Jesus' grace is, can be embodied in me. And when I meet with Him uh, in this manner, the fleshly things inside of me passes away. And so Colossians, Paul says that Jesus' death is my death, Jesus' burial is my burial, Jesus' resurrection is my resurrection, and Jesus' throne is my throne, Jesus' return is my return. That these five truths, as they are true to Jesus, our Lord, they are also embodied in me. And so we die every day. And so this is something that happens in your being every day. And this is the focus of how to be renewed every day. For example, I woke up this morning and I was very tired. It was not easy for me to get out of my bed. But that is just fleshly response. 
And so I receive in my body once again that Jesus' death is my death. And so it's no longer the flesh that has dominion over me, but the Spirit has dominion over me. And God's strength empowers me. And so I get up. Even exhaustion, even tiredness can be determined by are you living by the flesh or by the Spirit? Okay, there was one time where I ministered in Paraguay for five weeks. And on the fourth week, I got, caught a very severe cold. I could not minister. And yet, even in those circumstances, I knew that this was a response of the flesh. So I received that Jesus' death is my death and that Jesus' throne is my throne. And I got back up in that authority. And so you need to understand that the spiritual realm is reality. It's not imagination or ideology or an abstraction. It's just simply you are unable to see it with your physical eyes. There are a couple ministers in our church who have clairvoyance, who have the gift of clairvoyance. My daughter can also see the spiritual realm. But, but uh, clairvoyance is a little bit different. Clairvoyance is seeing the spiritual and the physical as one. And so it's like seeing a 3D movie. And so you can also even see the inner functions of the body. What this is talking about clairvoyance is that they are embodying the spiritual realm. And so it's different from a vision. They are seeing the uh, spirit, spiritual realm in reality. And so if you live by the spirit, then you come to know the reality of the spiritual world. And even if you don't believe in the physical realm, you need to receive in faith the spiritual realm. And so think about this. Uh, all the words of the Bible is are not, it's not possible to see it through the flesh. Jesus in First Corinthians 13, 11 says that you have to see Him. But you cannot see Him with your physical eyes. You have to see Him spiritually. And in 1 John 3, 2, it says that the Jesus that we see today is going to be the same the Jesus when He returns. Colossians 1, 15, that, we, that we, serve, we can only live if we see His face. In the Old Testament, if you saw that glory, you would die. But now he, the invisible God became visible to us. He is now visible to us. And so we have to see in order to live. And how can we see? Through faith, through our spirit. And so if you do not live by the spirit, nothing, no, nothing of Christianity is possible. And so every day we need to put to death our life of the flesh. Amen? And so even now, why am I unable to hear this word? It's because you live in the flesh. If you lived in the spirit, in faith, you would hear. You would hear that, that when I th toss the revelation of God to you, those who receive it in faith, inside your body, a loss of revelation would be unleashed. 
This is what, what we call fellowship with God, walking with God. And what is fellowship? As it says in first, it describes it in First John. And so let's turn to Habakkuk. And so verses six to twenty is talking, is describing the five evil desires of the flesh. And these five desires began in began in humankind when Cain created the world, as illustrated in Genesis chapter four. But when you look at these desires, you may think to yourself, is this really truly evil? Because throughout your life, you've never acknowledged this as evil. And going beyond that, the reason why this is so important to understand is because this is the essence of evil. And it's not easy for people to recognize it or even to, to accept it, to acknowledge it. Because they have not yet opened their spiritual eyes to see. And so as you receive the Holy Spirit, now inside of you exist three beings. And all three of them are real. You need to accept that they are real. That as the Holy Spirit came into you, now you have the new self, the perfectly righteous new self. And so this is a new being that has, that has formed inside of you when the Holy Spirit came into you. We call him the new self. The new self has no system to sin. The new self cannot receive the systems of this world, has no functions to receive this world. And so if you live by the new self, you cannot sin. And that's why in 1 John 3, 9, it says, he who is born of God will not sin. How can man not sin? And yet, if you are born of God, you are new self. And so when you look at the New Testament, that even if it doesn't explicitly say new self, old self, everyone in the early church had this in the background when they wrote the, the books of the Bible. And so especially with Paul in Romans, if you don't understand new self, old self, if you don't acknowledge it, you cannot interpret the book of Romans. First John, First John, without the idea of the old self, new self, you cannot interpret First John. And yet, why do they not explicitly write it down when they wrote with these books? It's because everyone in the early church knew the reality of the old self, new self. So there's no reason to explicitly say it that even if they don't explicitly say it, they already know. And so, in your lives, you need to understand that within you, there exists this new self and the old self. And what that means is that whatever I do, whatever I may say, whatever work I may do, that there is always one of these two beings partaking in it. 
And so in when I speak, I can speak out of the new self. I can also speak out of the old self. When I think, I may think in the new self. I may think in the old self. That when I have fellowship with someone, it may be in the new self, it may be in the old self. God, just as God will not separate us, it will be from us. You also cannot be separated from the new self or the old self. But you have the free will to choose which one are you going to hold hands with. And so the new self is me, the old self is also me. And this old self, as I said, cannot receive the things of God. And so if you live by the old self, you'll continually sin. And, and so when God says that you are an object of wrath, He's talking about the old self. The old self will not be removed from you until the Lord returns. And as I said yesterday, it's in order so that through this fight between the old self and new self so that I can become practically righteous. But the important thing here is that we're going to talk about these five evil desires. That uh, the essence that makes up the old self is the sarks, the flesh. Right? In, in the NIV, it just, it's translated as the sinful nature. My son just recently got married two months ago. The next time I come to Honduras, I may come with a grandson or granddaughter. <laughs> so Romans 8, says that he sent his son in the image of sinful man and saying that he came just as man just as you and me and so if Jesus just stood still then he would sin just as we would and so what we need to understand is that this sarks exists within me and sarks is this nature And so Jesus, when he came onto this earth, he came perfectly as man, just like you and me. And so, does that mean that Jesus is a sinner? No, that's not the case. Why? Because the sarks in itself is not sin. But simply, if you leave it alone, it has a nature to draw in sin to itself. And that's why Philippians 2, 7 says that Jesus emptied himself. He made himself nothing. And so in the same way, you need to empty yourself, make yourself nothing. And when you fully rely upon the Holy Spirit, that you can live in the new self. 
that the measure of the new self within you grows and grows and grows. And so the Holy Spirit is a being. And, and it says that He has given you the seed inside of you. And the seed has talked up, described in three ways. The Word, the Spirit, and the blood. And these three things make up the new self. And in these three things, the new self continually grows and grows and grows. And so if your this new self grows, then at the same time what else is going on is that the old self is dying. And so if the old self is victorious, or, uh, sorry, if the new self is victorious, it means the old self is continually being uh, losing. And so there is this severe tug of war going on inside of you. And so Galatians 5.16 says that within me the, the things of the Holy Spirit and the things of the flesh are continually struggling within me and so if you are living normally with God then up until a certain point these two beings within you have this intense tug of war intense battle going on within you and you need to experience that and you need to see how severe that warfare is. That that to the point that Paul himself says, What? Oh, what a wretched man I am. That's how difficult and how intense this warfare is. And so ultimately, in your relationship with God, what is the secret for you entering into glorification? Is is how much you're going to allow the new self to be victorious. And is that, are you going to keep allowing the new self to be victorious in you? Then if so, it's as if you are putting your foot on the neck of the old self so that the old self cannot move. That is the pinnacle of what you are to do on this earth. And the Bible describes this as glorification. And that is uh, fulfilling your predestination to be holy and blameless. And if you look at this from the perspective of faith, it's entering into the Sabbath rest of faith. And so Mark 4, when it talks about from the Word, it's that Word is 100% accepted in your body, in your heart. And we call that the good soil. And the only good soil alone bears fruit in that parable. No other, no other hearts can bear fruit. And so the, the makeup, the makeup of, of the old self is the sarks. And so these five evil desires that we're going to describe today, it is the fundamental, fundamental desires of that sarks. And so the New Testament calls it the dunamis, the dynamite, the power, the power of the sarks. And so these five desires within the sarks continually absorbs wickedness, absorbs evil, and leads you to sin, leads you to have no, nothing to do with God. And so these five desires, these five desires are the root of that, of that power. And so as you continue to live your life with God, 
And if you continue to fight against the flesh, the desires of the flesh within you, then you'll start to see these desires. And because you are hearing the word of God through me, you start to realize, but maybe you don't see just yet. Why? Because these bindings have yet to be unraveled. And so, but fundamentally, if you want to enter into glorification, these five desires need to be cut down. And so I call it the five heads of the snake. That inside of me, <laughs> there are these five snakes <laughs> wagging its tongue at me. And so if we, through repentance, can, can pull these things out, then ah, we're entering into glorification. That we are becoming more and more like the Lord. That we are almost entering into perfection. And so towards the world and towards the devil, that, that nothing can cause me to be shaken. And so these five desires are, are it's important to understand these evil desires. And so because you have heard this message today, now as you're aware of this, as you keep living by the Holy Spirit, you need to pull these desires out and enter into perfect freedom. And so as you live with God, as you serve God in your life, the reason why you're unable to fully respond to His will is because you are moving out of these desires, and these desires are moving you. And so that's why you're unable to go in the direction that God wants you to go. And these desires keep moving you in a different direction. And so if you get caught in a riptide, uh, all of a sudden you end up in a place that you never wanted to go. It's the same thing. And so if you get caught up in the current of these desires, then you don't know where you're going to end up. And so you, be, you, you lose sight of your goal. Remember, we have this clear goal of the glory of God. And so you lose sight of that glory. And so that's why we need to understand these desires. And you need to understand that these desires are breaking your life down. And, for the, and, and you may think that this is just the average life. But it's because this evil is, is spread out that it seems average. But when you look at these desires, you may not see, see them as sins. For example, you may think like, why is it sin to want something? And yet, when we see it, it's, we see it as wickedness. And God acknowledges that desire as wickedness. And let, you may say, why is it sin to want success? But that's what God is saying. God is saying that is wickedness. And so look, when God created you, the materials He used to make you, 
when man lives by those materials, that's when that life was beautiful and will be happy. But what about the materials that God didn't use? Who gave you those? Who gave you those? For example, anger. You may think like this, that I've always been an angry person. No, that's not the case. We've never been designed with anger inside me. It's ne it was never mine. That's what you have to acknowledge. You may think to yourself that I've always been a little bit dumb. No, God never used ignorance when He created you. God's children must be wise. That is the essence. You may think that, oh, I'm, I'm easily depressed. No, God has never used the material depression when He created you. That never belonged to you in the first place. And so you need to separate that out. And so all of these dark, dark characteristics, these wicked characteristics, is all made in these five desires. And so you fall into despair because you want, but you cannot have. You want to succeed, but you cannot reach that level of success, and so you fall into despair. You want to possess, and so in order to possess, you're willing to steal. You, to the point that you're willing to kill to take. And so these five desires are the strength that, 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 that brings about all kinds of different sins. And so when God created Adam, He never gave him the desire for things, to, to want to possess things. Why? Because all creation already belongs to me. And so what more do I need? That whenever I wanted, I could eat whatever I wanted. Whenever I wanted to use, I could use whatever. There was never a need for this desire to possess things. And so what does he say, God say to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians? That all creation belongs to you. That, and I believe 100% that all creation belongs to me. Everything here is mine, right? And, and the important thing is it also belongs to you. It belongs to those who believe. Amen? Hallelujah. And so that's why we have the authority to have dominion over creation. And this isn't also sudden. When God created uh, Adam, that's what he proclaimed as he created Adam in the beginning. Man has been created as a priestly king from the moment God created them. Adam lost sight of that. And when the Lord, our Lord came to this earth, as it says in Hebrews 6, He restored that blessing and He proclaims it. That I will bless you and bless you and surely bless you. As it says in Genesis 1.28. And so, what we are doing is restoring what God originally planned for us. It's not making something new. Now, of course, in, in God's Spirit entering into me, now uh, man after Jesus Christ has become a completely new being. And so Paul calls this a new creation. It means that your functions and your state is completely different from what, from what man was before Jesus Christ came.
Okay, and so we want this uh, translations into Spanish very quickly, amen? Yeah? So anyways, let's continue. And so, let's see these five evil desires. And amongst you who have truly prepared, you're going to remove the heads of the snake and make snakes stew. Uh, I'm pretty sure in Honduras, snake stew is not popular. <laughs> but in the East Asia, it's the best medicine. <laughs> Pastor Francisco, would you like snake stew? Okay, so open up faith and open your spirit because this is the fundamental root of all evil. And so look at how important the prophecy of Habakkuk is. And so these five evil desires, the New Testament apostles received this and, and received the revelation and called it the desires of the flesh. And so the apostles and the prophets are all connected in so many various ways. And so, brothers, brothers, you are receiving a blessed message today. And so let's look at the first desire, which is desire for possessions. Desires for possession begins from verse 6 to verse 8. Okay, Pastor Francisco, it'd be great if you could... Um, um, what's it called? Not, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm looking for an English word, uh, but it's okay. It's, it's, it's an announcement for Francisco. So, anyways. Because it's time for Latin America to fight with these five desires face to face. When we deal with these desires, we can enter into glorification. The devil truly hates us knowing these things. Because these are desires that began when man created Babylon. And so these, uh, these desires transcend culture and, and civilization itself. So when I went to the Vatican, I arrived. And the moment I stepped foot in Vatican City, there was this big demon there. And he was very, very, very large. And he was so fat that he could not even move quickly. And so I arrived, and then all of a sudden he was like, because no one has ever touched him. But the moment I arrived, this fire arrived, and when this fire arrived, he started to move. That uh, for thousands of years, no one dared touch him. But this Vatican, this demon in the, over the Vatican is filled with these five evil desires. And so I said to the devil, be at peace. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm here to sightsee. I'm just going to sightsee, so be, so be still. 
And so I, I, I looked at, I went sightseeing in the Vatican. But no one, no one even messed with these desires. No one tried to touch these desires. And so, and so right now, even this wicked uh, devil in over Honduras, uh, he hates that we are touching this. And so after this conference is over, Honduras, you may receive suffering. But the suffering that's going to come this time is different. It's suffering to raise up the Holy Ones of Christ. You are ready, you are ready, because if you are excited for this suffering, you are ready. You are prepared spiritually. When I went to Costa Rica, they didn't like suffering. Costa Rica is filled with the desire for security. But Costa Rica is really important for Central America. Because right now the world, the new world order, and the great prostitute is trying to use Costa Rica to to spread its clutches around Central America. Okay, and so it's not coincidence that Costa Rica got to declare neutrality. It's because the new world order is trying to use that place as 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 to explode everything that they need. And so, brothers, you need to pray for one another. Pray for each other's nations. Okay, Central America, you all use the same language and have a similar cultural flow. But the devil has made you hurt one another, has made you distrust one another. And so you do not like to be with one another. You are always ready. There's always preparations to fight with one another. For example, it's like this. Honduras and El Salvador go to war because of soccer game. Right? Is that true? But things like this could happen in the future. This is the strategy of the devil. And I'm going to talk about this uh, desire of, 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 of pleasure. And so through sports and entertainment, media, it, it's such danger to our glorification. So let's look at the desire for, for possessions. And so woe to him who heaps up what is not his own for how long and loads himself with pledges. So he's talking about these, these people of Babylon. And so if you uh, Okay, so shall not all these take up their taunt against him? And so who are all these? All these are the maybe the humble of, of, of uh, in this civilization. And so what they're saying is that everyone knows that Babylon with their greed, because of their desires, that, that, that they're going to be destroyed, that they're going to be ruined. That's what they know. But only Babylon alone cannot see their destruction. 
And so let's look at this desire for possessions. It says, woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. And so this desire for possessions is a heart that it cannot be satisfied, is not satisfied with what God gives. Remember, all creation belongs to God. There, man cannot take possession of it. And so from this perspective, the New Testament calls us what? Calls us stewards. That we have been steward, entrusted with the things of God. Why do you tithe? Because out of ten, one belongs to God and nine belongs to me? Is that why we tithe? No. All belongs to God. But by giving to God, I acknowledge that all of this belongs to God in the first place. And God allows me to use the remaining nine. And so if you do not tithe, what you are saying is you are not acknowledging God's Lordship. And so if you have faith, you don't have to tithe only a tenth. In our church, there's many people who tithe two tenths. It's because you offer according to your faith. And sometimes I proclaim and I demand one of my church members that in this month, give your entire salary. And throughout this month, practice learning to live by what God gives to you. And so there are many people who give their entire salary. Now, of course, I live this way too. I, I offer two-tenths. Why? Because as a pastor, my position means that, honestly, I get to eat for free so many times. When I'm at church, if I, if I, whenever I go to a restaurant, I always pray like this. Lord, bless the person who's going to pay for this food today. Then when I open my eyes, there's already someone who's going to pay for my food. And so all of these things, I need a tithe, right? And so I tithe two tenths instead of a tenth. It's not calculating with God. Uh, because it's not like you calculate a tenth. And then so I have $5,432. Then, no, you just, you just give him $60,000. Don't calculate with God. Amen. And so what is desire for possessions? You do not acknowledge God's lordship. That's the terrifying thing about this desire. You think it's yours. Christians can enjoy, but we do not possess anything. When I possess something, well, we need to understand that someone loses out because of my possession. And so the moment you possess something, you are committing a very big sin. Because through your possession, someone is starving. And so this possession is a sin of unbelief that does not acknowledge God's Lordship. And the reason why people possess 
or no, the, uh, the, so the most biggest fear of man is death. That's the weapon the devil uses. And and this and in order to protect yourself from this death, you have this survival instinct. And so, the highest um, goal of man is to eat well and live well. But that, that no longer is God then, that is Baal. And so already we see unbelief at work here. We see turning God into Baal at work here. All of this comes out of this desire for possession. And so this desire to try to possess things It has this ability, if, if the opportunity arises, to con someone, to take advantage of people. And, and even to the point where if, if the opportunity aligns, you're willing to kill. When I was in L.A., uh, there was the riots of L.A. in 1988. And, and every store got stolen. They got pillaged. And yet the amazing thing... Right, there was this lawyer who was a black man who was a lawyer. Even this lawyer goes into the stores and steals. Why? It's not because... It's because his desire for possessions couldn't act when, when there was the law stopping him. But now that the opportunity opens, he steals. Even if he's going to kill someone, he's going to do it. And so... When we have this desire for possessions and we are unable to have that possessions, then we fall into despair. And when we are unable to have possessions, we, we fall into powerlessness. And if we also unable to possess, we hate those who have what we do not have. And you keep comparing yourself with, with those who have and those who do not have. And so this desire for possession is the ripple that begins this great wave of all kinds of sins. And so regarding this, you may think that you may be weak compared to Korea. But Korea, you can just, with one click of a button, you can shop all over the world. All you have to do is order and in the next day it will arrive at your doorstep. You can even compare right, right at your desk which one is the cheapest. And they deliver everything. This is the devil's strategy to, 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 to magnify the desire of, of, of the possession of people. I'm sure you also have this delivery service here in, in, in Honduras, yes? Hey, if you want to be a big rich man, then this is the business that you need to get into. As long, and so try that business as long as you can escape God's wrath. And so look at how dangerous this desire for position is. That within you, this desire to possess, this, 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 this desire is constantly waiting for the opportunity to sin. And if you live by the Spirit of God, you don't need anything. You don't want anything. You don't need to possess anything. You, and it becomes uncomfortable to possess things. It becomes burdensome to possess things.
And so we need, we as Christians need to be ashamed of what we possess. That when I possess, I understand that someone else is starving because of my possessions. And so if we possess things as Christians, that means in the big picture, we are losing the essence of Christianity. Because what is Christianity? Christianity is not being happy out of my own works. It's not being happy out of my own things. But by making other people happy, seeing their happiness gives me happiness. And so this desire of possession itself, as we can see, is at odds with the essence of Christianity. We need to be satisfied with what God gives. And, what, and, and who is our God? Our God is the who enriches our lives, who gives us more than we need. And so it's not important to have things. It's important to have fellowship with Him. As long as I have a right relationship with Him, whether I have or not does not become a big problem. And I'm not even worried whether He gives or He doesn't give. Why? Because God is not a God who withholds things from us that He gives more than enough. He is someone who provides more than enough. And so what's important to us is, is it God's will or not? Is it God's will or not? And so those who possess for their own... And so how long, how long, O oh Lord, for how long? And so what that means is that just because they keep heaping things up doesn't mean that they're going to become happy. Right? Of course, it's torture to die of starvation, but it's also torture to die from your stomach bursting open. And so what else does it say here? It says, and loads himself with pledges. Because he, he's loading himself, he's burdening himself with all the things that he possesses. Okay. And so loads himself up with pledges. And so uh, nation to nation, there are many translations that have that have been uh, translated wrong. For example, if you look at Hebrews 2, 12, 22, it clearly says the church in, in, in Greek. But in the Chinese translation, and even in the Spanish translation, it doesn't say the church. This is a very large mistake. And so that's why I like to look at the original language of Hebrew and Greek. And which one, which of these uh, codexes is truth? And so in your book, Bibles, in Hebrews 12, 22, you need to write the church there. Because whether that word is there or not will change the meaning of that verse. And so all of these things will cause great loss, great suffering in, in your faith life. Why? Because faith is faith in His promise. And this faith gets, uh, and this promise gets lost, and so faith gets transformed. And so in Hebrews 12, 22, there must be this word, the church. If the church is not there, then it is no longer the kingdom of heaven. An element of the kingdom of heaven must be the church. 
And so there are many kinds of mistakes like this in various Bibles, in the Korean, in Chinese, and in Spanish as well. Okay, when, up until a point of uh, 1 John 3, 9, it says that he who is born of God does not sin. Uh, in the Spanish Bible, it was proclaimed, it was written like this, that do not uh, try to keep yourself from sin. Look at how different that is. Look at how different that is. They are saying completely two different things. It's because they do not understand the new self. That's why they translate it this way. And so, pastors, we need to be able to see the original text. Do not trust your translations too much. You need to know the original text. And so, in the original Hebrew, it says that he loads himself with pledges, with what he has taken. And so, he would be happy if he possessed. But instead of being happy, it becomes a burden that he loads himself with. And so, because of these things, he is destroyed. And so, he uh, made as much money as he could. And so his, but his children waste his money away. This is the principle of things, that whenever you possess something that God did not give, it becomes the source of your destruction. And so that's why in our church, I, I tell them, do not leave an inheritance for your children. That leave it to the church. That the only inheritance you should give to your children is the inheritance of faith. And so the, uh, possessing things that God doesn't give you is, is the result of great evil. Let's look at verse 7. It says, will not your debtor suddenly arise? And so they took by stealing from others, but that means that there's always a bigger fish in the ocean. There's always someone who's going to oppress them. And so let's say to some people, uh, $10 million is the most rich man. But there's always someone in the world who is, has more than you. And so that's why this world worships strength, worships power. Because no matter how much you possess, there's always going to be someone who has more than you. And so even though Babylon uh, takes over all of the world, Persia and Media comes to conquer all of Mesopotamia. This is the principle of the world. There's always someone, there's always a bigger fish. And so why should we live by God? Why do we live by what God gives? Because no one is bigger than God. There's no one who can be victorious, a victory over God. And so if we have God, then we have confidence. Amen? And so we need to understand that it is a curse to live by the things that God does not give. As Christians, we should not possess things. So let's continue. Okay, that 
will, uh, and those awake who will make you tremble. And so they gathered all the things that never belonged to them. And, and these things is going to make them tremble. Because as much as they cause suffering to other people, that suffering will come back to haunt them. They thought that they would not worry because they have all these possessions. But now because of their possessions, they worry even more. And so they need to build a high wall and they need to have security. And, and so it's no longer able to sleep well. He's no longer able to sleep well at night. And so because he has more possessions, he has more worries. And so uh, possessions, if you don't possess, you can leave the door wide open. Because either way, you have nothing for anyone to steal. And what does that mean? That I already, I have everything. Why? Because if I have God, I have everything. So when I came to Honduras, I came, think about it, let's say that I came with all of my house, my, all of my belongings, I brought my bed, I brought my refrigerator, I brought all my food. Actually, when I do come here, it's always food that's the most heaviest things that I bring. But if I were to vacation this way, then, then it would be torture to vacation, right? There's no need. All I have to do is bring one credit card. It's the same thing. If you possess all things, then your, your life is going to be heavy. All we have to do is live with God who possesses all things. Right? And also there, there, uh, there are no thieves and moths do not eat away. And so all we have to do is ask from him. And so how does Israel live? They do not live by the Nile River. The Nile River is how Egypt lives. But what hap what's the problem by living, relying upon the Nile? Sometimes this Nile may dry out. And one day this Nile may get polluted. But how about Israel? Israel, if they just believe that God will send rain tomorrow, even if today this land is dry, tomorrow rain comes. We live with the promise of God. Israel lives by the early and latter rains. I have this watch. And this watch is turning. Even though it's turning, it's incorrect. It's correct. It's incorrect. It's not even matched up with minutes. And so if I use this clock to, to send a rocket into space, then that rocket is going to explode in the air. Why? Because this clock is not accurate. But let's say I have another watch. And this watch is perfectly dead. And But because this watch is dead, at the very least, twice a day, it is, always, it is accurate. You understand what I'm saying? 
And so our, our self needs to be dead. If our self is dead, then at the very least, when his early and latter rains come, that we will come alive. Oh, this was very sharp revelation. Do not rely upon the time of this world. This desire for possession is, keeps, is this desire that makes you keep from believing in the promise of God. And so many people think that possessions is the source of happiness. And going beyond that, it also now causes problems in eternity. For example, you know the parable of the foolish rich man. That rich man was smart. And he had vision to see far into the future. And so he prepared this large barn and had a good harvest. And the rich man says, that how can I eat all of this? And yet God comes and says, what, who had, did you prepare all this for when I'm going to come for your soul tonight? And so why is this rich man foolish? Because eternity, the spirit doesn't eat food. He thought he was possession of things that he does not possess. And so if that spirit gets taken, all of his possessions get taken. And so what's important is our soul being healthy. And so being right with God in the eternity, this material world is not, is not going to last forever. We just simply need this body for while we are on this earth. And so we should not possess more than we, we need. And so do not try to force yourself towards security in possessions. Because if you live in the spirit, your flesh can't be comfortable. If you live by the spirit, your flesh is always going to be uncertain. And that's why the Bible says that we are sojourners. And so as a sojourner, I'm here in, in, in Honduras, right? In the same way, as I said earlier, if I brought all my home here, then it would have been difficult. And so the sojourner needs to be unburdened. The sojourner just simply has one backpack and go lightly into the world, tread lightly. For example, a marathon athlete has to be light, right? That, um, it's the same thing with us. We are running this marathon. And let's say that this marathon put on full armor, plate armor in the middle of the medieval times. There are some of you who are actually living your lives like this. You have this full armor and, and in five minutes you're exhausted. And so we need to be light. We need to be light. Do not be burdened. Hallelujah. Do not possess things. How wicked is this desire for possessions? We need to recognize this and acknowledge this. And so they are also shackled by the same way. And so they possess things, but this possessions, there comes a time where these possessions will be taken from them. And this is the principle that moves the nations. 
that your possessions cannot guarantee your security. We're entering into the time of famine all over the world. And so we think that we need to find a solution for this famine. No, eventually all things will be taken from you. There's going to come a time where the 1% of the world, the top 1% is going to possess everything. And so we're going to, there's going to come a situation that through this economic breakdown, uh, power is going to be concentrated in the hands of a few. And that's when the mark of the beast is going to uh, become. And you may think, how could this ever be possible? And yet this is the current that the world is going down right now. All of the world through globalization is becoming one world market. It's becoming one world religion. And even politics is going is getting united towards globalization. And so all the independent um, powers in the world are dead. There's only a couple left. But they're going to die soon too. Why? Because so that one being can control all things. You need to open your eyes to these things. 20 years ago, all these independent uh, powers in the world has been starting to be broken down, broken down, and broken down. And so the Church of God needs to be able to see these things and see that, ah, the prophecy of God is being fulfilled, that God is establishing this person. And so for this reason, we, what we need to do needs to be clear to us, and we need to be looking at these things. And that's why you need a prophet. And so through Habakkuk, I believe that a prophet will be established amongst you. Verse 8. When you receive this word properly, in truth, there will be a characteristic that will manifest, and that is that you will repent deeply. What you need to understand is that as Christians, we do not die because of sin. Now, of course, in the end result is that sin leads to death. But as Christians, we are not sinning because we are not dying because of sin. We're dying because of we lack to repent. It. We, we do not repent. Because why? Because our Lord Jesus Christ has solved the issue of sin for us by giving us His righteousness. And if you truly believe this, then you will repent. But it's because you do not believe, that's why you do not repent. And so repentance is really important. Look, when Jesus arrived on this earth, what did He first step? How did He begin His ministry? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so the kingdom of heaven lives through repentance. And so you, you, he, Jesus may have said, pray for the kingdom of heaven. That's not what he said. He directly says, what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so those who live by the kingdom of heaven will repent. And so for the past 30 years, what have I been doing? Eat the word, repent, obey, and bow down. That's the life that I've lived. And that's, all, that's how you should live too. No matter what word I'm proclaiming, it's always proclaimed with this paradigm as the focus. Eat the word, repent, obey, bow down. And this is the paradigm that we all need. So let's continue. 
And so I cannot go in detail, but I'm explaining you to the, the essence of sin, to receive it in faith, amen? Verse 8, because you have plundered many nations, he's speaking directly about Babylon, right? This is the way the world lives. For example, a powerful nation, it's not out of their research and hard work that they become so powerful. And that's why God curses the system of Babylon. And when I talk about Babylon's system, I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about society, I'm talking about, uh, about government, I'm talking about politics and economics. This entire system moves based on the principle of taking from others, taking from the weak. And the reason why God loves the humble one, the little guy, it's not that they are poor because they are lazy. It's because they are sacrificial lambs to the system of Babylon. That's why we need to open our eyes to this. Listen, no matter, Babylon's system is a system that no matter how hard they work, they can't help but be poor. For example, in Korea, let's say that Kia sells millions and millions of cars. And so they made a lot of money. But someone who has more money than that, in the world, New World Order, can just change the exchange rate one little bit. And already, more than the money that they make, they lose money. This is the system of Babylon. And so all the possessions of the world is, is recorded to, in the New World Order. And do you know what's the richest nation in that list? It's, it's, it's Africa, Congo. They are the richest nations with nat in natural resources. Congo has very great amount of natural resources. Gold, uh, oil, diamonds, and also silicon, all kinds of materials needed for, for construction. And yet Congo is the, one of the poorest countries in the world. Do you know why? Because the Western world steals all of this from Congo. And in order to do that, they created all these rebels within Congo. And so as the civil war continually happens, they take this natural resources for cheaply. Do you know why Russia is attacking Ukraine this, this time? Do you know what the uh, basic source is? It's because it's because the price of their oil is getting so cheap. And so they engage in this war to raise the price of oil. And you'll see that in this warfare, Russia is going to come out on top in the end, eventually. Russia is not going to lose. This is something that I prophesied before this war started. 
the newspapers continually blame Russia and say Russia is bad, Russia is bad. Yes, they are bad. They are bad. They are thieves. But that doesn't mean that this, they're going to lose. They won't be able to say that, oh, we're completely victorious. But, but there's going to be a compromise. And in this compromise, Russia is going to end up uh, getting what they wanted. And Russia is going to be united to Europe once again. Because they're all on one side, honestly. And so Babylon is a system that you can only enrich yourself by taking from others. Why is Honduras poor? Because for the past hundred years, Babylon's system has shackled you like this. Now, I'm not saying to go to war to take that back. What I'm saying is look at the essence of what the devil is doing. Look at the essence of Babylon. And so then what should we do? We should live by God and engage in spiritual warfare. And so though Honduras was impoverished by, by, by being pillaged, God has his own plan for you in the midst of this. That as the Babylon has made you poor, God is establishing a more powerful church in Honduras. He's establishing those who are poor in spirit. Do you think it's easier to live in deep presence of God here in Honduras or where I live in Korea? It's much easier here in Honduras. In Korea, in order to reject the riches of Korea is so hard, I, I cannot just stay still. That means that amongst you, you have all the ability to have deeper spirituality than me. Remember, spirituality is not about possessing more, but it's about emptying yourself. It's about denying yourself. That is the essence of living with God. Do not strive to possess things. Don't strive to possess things. That is the way of Babylon. And so if you can see these things, you will see how this world runs. You will see the history of man. You'll see what the devil is trying to accomplish. So are your eyes opening up? Are your spiritual eyes opening up? And so the remnant of the people shall plunder you. As much as they plunder, they are going to be plundered. Um, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to city, so they have blood, they have spilled violence and blood. Uh, the blood that was spilled in order to plunder. The, uh, the, the plunder that came through violence. All of these things are going to be paid back to them directly. Remember that sin always, uh, there's always a price to sin. You may think that after sinning that there's no price being made evident and so you got away with it. No. That, that evil will bring about another strength to oppress you. 
And so that's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. We need repentance. And so all the sins that have been stored up in the nation, in the country, we need to keep loosening those things. Like Ezra. Uh, repenting in, in, as a representative for his people like Daniel uh, repenting for his people and so like Nehemiah repenting for his people and so amongst you a prophet needs to rise up and be able to uh, repent for the sins of Honduras as a nation Then, and when that burden of sin gets laid down it becomes easier for glorious church to be established in Honduras. And so we need to lay down the burden of Honduras and we are being made lightened by those. So from this perspective, it is not the people who have money and strong army that will survive, but those who have the word of God. Those who have the word of God. That's why Israel will never fall. And the, and the country that has the remnant church will never fall. And so, to your children, don't teach them the studies of the world. Make them be immersed in the Word of God. That they would rise with the wisdom of God. That they would rise up as influential people over South America. Do not imitate the system of Babylon. We need to completely cut off the system of Babylon. Because Babylon is influenced by, by the desire for possession. Let's look at the second desire, the desire for security. So verse 9 to 11. Verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high. Because of their possessions, he's afraid that someone's going to steal it. And so he builds his, his house on high, right? So that he can see the thief from far away. Okay, when you look at the rich men in America, they always live in the highest buildings. And we call that the penthouse. Is there any amongst you who live in a penthouse? Then repent and come back down. Why? Because you are building on high so to protect what you've gathered, what you possess. This is desire for security. The flesh is always looking for security. Always looking for comfort. And so that's why, like in Korea, delivery system has become very expanded. And, but if you get influenced by security, your spirit continually dies. You gain spiritual obesity. If you look at 1 Samuel, we see the priest Eli, the high priest Eli. Because of gout, he cannot move. You need to look at this spiritually. He has spiritual obesity. 
and so his spirit cannot move. And so even though his children are doing cursed sins, he cannot stop them. And so his entire family gets cut off. And so as pastors, this is something that we really need to be wary of. If pastors get caught up in spiritual obesity, it's, very, it's dangerous. It is desire for security. So don't look for security, don't look for comfort. Okay, as I said on the second day, primarily the church needs to be the wilderness. If you look at Micah 4, 8 and 9, it says to flee the city of religion, Jerusalem. If the church becomes the city of religion, it becomes secure, it becomes comfortable. But that city of religion will never create a man of God. So it says, go to the wilderness. The church must be the wilderness. A place where if you do not rely upon God, you will not survive. If you do not look at God, then you will be bitten by snakes. If you do not follow after the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, you die of heat stroke. You die of cold. It's a place where you rely fully upon God. The wilderness, the wilderness. We need to go into the wilderness. I bless your church that your church will be the wilderness. If you live by the Spirit, your flesh will suffer discomfort. Don't look for rest on this earth. Our rest is in eternity. There is no rest on this earth. So let's pull out this desire for security. This is a desire of the flesh. So if you get influenced by desire for security, as I said earlier, desire for possession raises up unbelief. Desire for security uh, multi magnifies that, that unbelief. And if you're filled with the desire for security, you lose the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We need to live by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it? Galatians 3.23, you walk with Spirit. You need to walk with the Holy Spirit, being led with the Spirit, and being in step with the Holy Spirit. This is an image of what it means to live by the Holy Spirit. For this, you need to not have your own strength, and the desire for security builds your own strength. And you need to not have your own will. Desire for possession and security magnifies your, your, your will. It means that it's magnifying the strength to resist God. And then, we, and then you also lose the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You become dull. And this is the loss that we suffer when we get filled with desire for security and possessions. So let, we need to continually be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if you live at, that way, then uh, the image of your life will be like this. You're always letting the Holy Spirit lead you from in front of you. If he goes to the right, you go to the right. If he goes to the left, I also go to the left. If he stops, I stop. And when he goes backward, I go backward. 
And so I need to be led by the Holy Spirit of the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. And when you look at Isaiah 4, the Holy Spirit enters into me and he prophesies of how we are to live when the Holy Spirit dwells within me. That in, in me is the pillar of the cloud, the pillar of the fire. And so because you are the tabernacle of, of the Holy Spirit, right, this is the Shekinah glory, the Holy Spirit um, treats you as his tabernacle. Like it says in John chapter 3, 316. Oh no, John 1.16, sorry, 1.18, that he dwells within man, and this dwell means that he made us into a tabernacle, he tabernacleized us, and so because he's, we are the tabernacle, he comes to us in the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, and so confirm that the Holy Spirit is leading you. We are the wilderness. And so if we get immersed in security, we lose this wilderness. And we develop our own strength. And we develop my own will. And my free will starts to resist the will of God. And I lose sensitivity to God. And so let's remove the desire for security. Amen? So as, as I'm proclaiming this word, you need to take out the head of the snake. And uh, the, the uh, angels have prepared a cauldron before you. Do you see this pot? Do you see this pot in front of you? And the fire is burning and it's boiling water. We're going to make snake stew today. Amen? And so after each section, we take out one snake and put it into that pot and boil uh, and make snake stew. And the pinnacle of your faith is glorification. And glorification is freedom. If you look at Ezekiel 47, it says that it talks about the uh, Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit up to your ankles, to your knees, to your waist, and then over your head. And when it goes over your head, that is true freedom. Moving wherever the Holy Spirit leads you. Amen? And so if you take out these heads of snakes, you will be free. You will move according to the movement of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so let's continue in this desire for security. To set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. And so if you get influenced by possession or security, you need to possess more things in order to protect what you possess. And so you should be you should be satisfied with ten thousand dollars. But in order to protect that ten thousand dollars, you need more money to provide for you to protection. And so you need to steal more, and you need to con more, and you need to kill more, and you need to sin more. And that's what this desire for security does in you. This world has no rest. As David confessed, that, that Lord, you alone are my stronghold, you are my fortress, you are my shield, and you are my life. Amen. So let's continue. Verse 10. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples.
right? And so Babylon possessed a lot, but that became their their shame. And so their desire for possession is the source of their destruction. And so here it says that their shame, that they will be brought to shame because of these things. And so instead of people respecting you for possessing many things, right, we cannot respect people who possess lots of things, right? You may, you may be envious of them, but you don't respect them. Even envy of them is wickedness. And so they are constantly being cursed by man because people are envious of them. And so the more you possess, the more fingers will be pointed at you. The amazing thing here is that this curse is going to be real, is going to be actualized in them. And in Korea, there was this, uh, there was this event that happened. Uh, they were auctioning off a large building. And one person purchased the entire building. And most people cannot afford to buy that kind of building. But it's why? Because it's too hard to chase away the people who are already tenants of that building. And so no matter how cheap that building may be, they don't buy that building. But how did this person purchase this building? He brought gangsters. And these gangsters uh, threatened and, and caught, did violence to all the tenants. And so chased out one by one. And so how, how much is this person being cursed by the people who he chased out? And so when he chased out the last tenant, he died of cancer. This is the curse of the little man. And so what you need to understand that it is a curse to possess things because when you possess, you try to possess more to protect what you possess. Even if God doesn't curse you, you are still cursed because everyone curses you. Do you know the suffering that America suffers after uh, going to, to the height of power? They are, they are paying a great price. Even now, look at America. Look at how many uh, mass shootings there are. Why? In order to protect their riches, they had to keep getting more and more. More, and so they sell weapons. And they have to remove uh, presidents from other nations. Now, of course, America has done good things, but more than the good things America has done, they have done things out of their greed. And that's why things like 9-11 happens. And even now, America is not repenting. And so what you need to understand that possession and protection of that possession is not happiness. It's happy to empty yourself. Happiness is in emptying yourself. Happiness is, is not possessing things. Amen? And so verse 11, verse 10, you have forfeited your life. 
And so you wanted to protect yourself, but this becomes your, uh, your, your sin that forfeits your life. You are rejecting God, and you are living by these desires that can't help but sin. And, this, and so the more possession, the more security we desire, the more we will sin. These desires is the strength that, that, that brings sin into your life. You need to open your eyes to this truth. That you need to see that, that when, whatever sin it may be, these are the desires that are behind that sin. For example, let's say someone committed adultery. Then what desire moved that adultery in the background? I needed to be satisfied with my wife, but my desire for possessions moved. I want to possess something that doesn't belong to me. And so because of this possession is moving inside of you, that's why you sin this way. And in order to protect that relationship, you have to do all kinds of other sins. You have to lie, keep deceiving your wife, and you have to earn more money. And so, in order, and so, in whatever way you can, you have to try to make money. And so, you're continually sinning, continually sinning. And so, that's why we say that sin is a life of its own. Right, David woke up late in the afternoon and as he stretched for the morning, he sees a woman taking a bath from his high wall. And even if she, and no matter how beautiful she is, she's already married woman, right? She's a senora. And yet, he's, she enters into his eyes. It's because the sin is a life. It's life. And so he, he takes that woman and in order to protect that secret, in order to protect his honor as king, right? And so we'll talk about this desire for honor later. But he keeps doing other sins. He lies. And he even kills his loyal servant. David never wanted to do this sin. But this desire keeps providing the strength that multiplies the sin. So you need to see these spiritual mechanisms at work. That these desires keep giving you the strength to sin in this way. And so that's why it says that I sin in my soul. That we need to understand that this is the generator that provides the strength for sin. And so take out the desire for possession. And take out the desire of the snake of the desire of security. And open the, the pot and put it into the pot. And close the pot. Amen. Verse 11. For the stone will cry out from the wall. The wall is signifies the closest person to me. Right? You, you're using a person to protect all of your things, right? But that this closest person is the one that betrays him. 
And, and the beam from the woodworks respond. And what's more closer than the wall is the beam in the house. And that the most closest person to them is going to betray them. Look at Rome. Almost all Roman Empire emperors were killed by betrayals from within. And so you got to be careful of the one who's close to you. Who's the closest person to you? Who's the closest person to you? Think about it. Who's the closest person to you? Your spouse? No. No, no, no. It's yourself. It's yourself. You, your, you yourself is the biggest danger to you. And, for, and that's why we need to deny ourselves and put ourselves to death. And so as I said yesterday, that within the relationship of the spouse, there needs to be the Holy Spirit. Within your relationship with your church members, the Holy Spirit must be there. It's about the relationship of the gospel, the relationship of the spirit, the relationship of righteousness. And if you want this relationship, you need to put yourself to death. Do not, um, do not approach your wife, your spouse, out of your desires. Out of, do not approach your children out of your desires. That's why your children get corrupt. That's why your church members get corrupt. All of our relationships must be the relationship of the gospel, of spirit, and of, of righteousness. You, your, you are the greatest danger to yourself. Do not trust yourself. Do not believe in the potential of yourself. And that's the confession that you need to make eventually. That Lord, I am nothing. That Lord, without you, I cannot survive. That Lord, if you do not leave me, lead me, I do not know where to go. That Lord, I rely upon you. Help me not to live by myself. That this true confession needs to rise up every day. Amen. And so did you remove the desire for security? Verse 12 to 14. The desire for, for success. Possession and, and, and security is close to your flesh. This desire for success is, is dangerous spiritually. And so those who have the strong desire for success, for achievement, and for, for honor, they, are, are, they get lost in the spirit of religion very easily. So someone like me, a pastor who's been pastoring for 20 years, and when my pastoral ministry enters into security, security pastors start to have this desire for honor, for fame. 
You'll see many of your uh, uh, overseers go to hell. And there's 18 associate pastors at my church. And even now, all over the world, there are, there are doctor candidates. But a person like me is really dangerous. And that's why every morning I pray to the Lord, Lord, do not let me work out of my position. That Lord, may not my position command people. That I am not lazy in praying this to God every day. And because wherever I go, God brings about great works. The praise of man, the honor of men. That Lord, help me, help me not to, to be sensitive to these things. Because I am the, the president of Zoe ministry all over the world. That honor is what's going to kill me. And so if someone calls me Mr. President, then what I need to hear is, I'm going to kill you. That's what I need to hear, really. And so people who have the desire for achievement, for fame, it's easy for them to get lost in the spirit of religion. It's easy for them to get lost in the spirit of legalism. And honestly, I do need to take a week to have a conference on spiritual discernment. And when you enter into our webpage, there's a section on, on, on spiritual discernment. So these are all things that you, that you need to uh, receive spiritually as well. And so, what we need to understand is that this desire for fame and for achievement killed the Lord, right? Oh no, it's also something that our Lord Jesus Christ even was wary of, right? He had, he did the feeding of the 5,000 and they tried to make him into a king. And his disciples got drunk on that fame. And so what did the Lord do? He said, you guys hurry up and get on the boat and go to the other side. But he goes up to the lonely place, up the mountains. He does not enjoy that fame. He does not enjoy the desire for fame, the desire for achievement. Look at Elijah. Fire came from heaven and burned everything up. How amazing is that? Amazing sign. All of Israel was amazed at Elisha. That, and they shout out that Yahweh, you alone are God. And so what, what kind of person would Elijah be to them? But Elijah doesn't remain. Where does he go? He goes to, and hides in Mount Carmel. And he puts his head between the rocks. And he bows down and prostrates himself before God. And so God, did you not promise that you would send rain? And so he cries to God. This is a true servant. It's not about the fire falling that makes him a true servant. It's the one who desperately cries to God, prostrating himself before God. That, that God alone is glorified in him. 
that all of his words, that all of his actions reveal God. And so Paul says in Philippians 1, that whether I live or whether I die, that Christ is glorified in my life. So through you, God must alone be manifested. This desire for achievement, this desire for fame, steals, takes away this amazing glory that is given to you. And so you may not realize this when you are poor, but when you find security and you start to have authority, this desire rears its head. And so I know that there's some here who are presidents of organizations, maybe president of denomination. These people, you need to be careful. If someone calls you Mr. President, this is what you need to hear. You might be going to hell. But really, this is no joke. Because this, because this desire for honor, this desire for achievement, looks like it's goodness. It clothes itself in goodness. The spirit of religion looks like it's holiness. Legalism makes it look as if you are godly. And so that's why it's hard to see the wickedness in it. And yet they are all tripping. So we need to open our eyes to this reality and keep putting ourselves to death and denying ourselves. If not, it's better to just be, if you cannot do so, then it's better to just be poor because that's less dangerous. And that's why in, in, in Proverbs 38, it says, Do not make me rich, lest I... And do not make me poor. Because if I rich, lest I, lest I say I do not know you, or that I'm so poor that I'm going to steal and blaspheme the name of my God. This is not actually the highest uh, confession, spiritually speaking. The highest one is no matter what God gives you, that I am not shaken. That is what God wants from you. But if that's not the case, then this confession of Psalms 31 is, or Proverbs 31 is important. And so it's dangerous not to be able to control poverty. But it's more dangerous uh, uh, being unable to handle riches. You need to understand that it is a critical attack when we are unable, when we are uh, lifted up by men and we don't know how to handle it. And so you may call this humility, but humility doesn't come from uh, prostrating yourself because you can't do something. No, what is true humility is even though you can do it, 
even though you can move people with your lips. And yet, if God doesn't move, you do not do it. That only if God gives will you move. It is giving up your authority for the glory of God. Giving up your fame for, for God. That is the image that you should, must have as men of God. And throughout, the, throughout history, that is who God used. It is hum, this is true humility. This is true meekness. So let's move on to the desire, uh, in this desire, verse 15, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. So why is this desire for achievement? Why is this desire for fame? Because at this time, whenever you built a city, whenever you took a city, you would put your name on that city. For example, like Alexander the Great. He, possessed, he conquered almost the entire known world at the time. Why did he need all that land? No, he didn't need that land. He, everywhere he went, he built a city and put his name on it. Alexandria. There are so many Alexandrias in that, in that area. He conquered all that for his fame. In, at the end of India, he cried. He cried that, is there no more to conquer? And so he cried. And then after that confession, Soon, God's joke came. This amazing conqueror died because of a small little mosquito. The small mosquito bit him, and because of that mosquito, he died. Isn't this the joke of God? You are a great conqueror? You're nothing. A tiny little mosquito can kill you. And so even though I'm not afraid of devil, I'm afraid of mosquitoes. Because I mean, that, this is our God. The people mere labor merely for fire. And remember, this world is ultimately an inheritance that's going to burn in the fire tomorrow. And so this desire for achievement, for fame, keeps making you try to make something, try to build something. 
this fame and honor keeps trying to make you achieve something so that you can prove yourself, so that you can uh, witness yourself. That's why you get uh, weak to the spirit of legalism and the spirit of religion. Because you keep trying to achieve something for your own fame so that you can be famous. We do not live for our name. We live for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. And so if we get influenced by the desire for possession or for fame and for, for achievement, you become very legalistic. Because legalism is about gaining righteousness through your works. You keep, tr you keep emphasizing your self-righteousness. And so self-righteousness moves together with the spirit of, of, of fame and of achievement. And so think about your pastoral ministry. Whose name are you building up? If it's your kingdom, you're trying to build up your own name. This is dangerous. Okay, God's name is not what's being lifted up. And so in your ministry, uh, do not try to uh, bring, make your ministry be famous. Everywhere, all over the world, I never advertise Zoe ministry. I, I only let people spread it through the words of mouth of the people who have heard because I'm not looking for lots of people I'm looking for people who God has called because I need to live by what God gives I need to live with the people who God gives and so God needs to move but if I move in fame and in success I keep trying to uh, advertise myself I keep trying to lift up my own name. I keep trying to show people who I am. But then God will not be manifest there. And that is destruction. That will be death. So pastors. There are three, three spirits that are always attacking the pastors. First is the spirit of immorality. Second is the spirit of greed. Third is the spirit of fame. And so these things are always moving in the background. And so, and so you always, in holiness, needs to look at women as your own sister. And so you need to always be wary of this boundary between between women and men. And these days you even have to be worried about men, right? The world is a scary place these days. And pastors, really, listen carefully. If when you stand here, no matter how ugly you may be, you're going to look good to the people around you. It's true. And so pastors, you need to be careful. And so, so don't think like this. Oh, because I'm ugly. No, no, no. No, the more ugly you are, the more careful you need to be. When you stand here, you are a movie star. 
And really in Korea there was a pastor like this. He said that a pastor, it, uh, that actors can are, make the best pastors, because you need popularity. As so a pastor, be careful. You need to understand that the spirit of immorality is always waiting in the background. That let's say that a sister looks pretty to you, then you need to cry out to God. And as you cry out to God, your wife will be most beautiful to you. It's normal for you to see your wife as the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> and so in Costa Rica, I, I want to do a conference just gathering just the pastor's wives. And I want to send my wife. For just the pastor's wife, a conference for just the pastor's wives. Because the pastor's wives have many scars. Because when you look at lay members, they only have one husband, right? But pastor wives, you have one husband. Okay, so lay, lay members, they have a pastor and then they also have their husband. But And so even if they lose their pastor, they have their husband. But these pastor's wives, their pastor and their husband is the same person. And so if they lose their husband, they lose their pastor. If they lose their pastor, they lose their husband. And so this pressure is very great. They need to protect their husband, and they also need to protect their pastor. And so the stress of the pastor's wives is very great. And so that's why in Zoe ministry, we train pastors with their wives together. And so pastor's wives, it's okay though. God is going to strengthen you. It's so important that the pastor's wives pray. In our church, 70% of my ministry is done by her. And so that's why I hold on to her. And so even though we have so many associate pastors at our church, they are all under the authority of my wife. It's not because they are not good enough, but because this is the order of things. But this isn't in the Bible, but it's, this is the spiritual order of things that you have to see. And so, all the church members and the associate pastors needs to be under the authority of your wife. That is really important for the church's order to be established. 
And so I, brother, uh, pastor's wives, sisters, God loves you very much. And pastors, God loves you very much as well. Okay, if you're sitting with your spouse, hug one another and say, I love you. Okay, let's continue. And so, and the nations weary themselves for nothing. And so, is this wearying themselves for nothing? What is this nothing? It's their, their efforts to make their fame and their achievement. All the things that they build up for their name is it's like a sandcastle. That it's a sandcastle to build for your own achievement, for your own success. Children of God live for eternity. We exist for eternity. But this desire for achievement is focused on this earth. So what do we need to do? Verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So ultimately, everyone will stand before the glory of God. Whether they believe Jesus or not, whoever they may be, they will stand before his glory. And so that's why we should not live for ourselves, but we should receive his righteousness and live in his glory. Because that day will surely come when as the waters cover the sea, the glory of God, when it covers over all, when all see that glory, we will stand before that glory. And so I love this song. Okay, because you don't have time, so let's continue. Let's look at the desire for pleasure and the desire to conquer. Okay, uh, des- achievement and fame is the same desire, and the desire to conquer and the desire to, to for pleasure is also the same same desire right and look at the world they live for pleasure do they not and the uh, root of that pleasure that desire for pleasure is to conquer to dominate right for domination to conquer and I know that many people like pleasure right you like movies you like sports all of this pleasure, this desire of pleasure comes from the will to dominate. And that's why children of God shouldn't re- enjoy these things. And that's why we need to be wary of the three S's. Sex, sports, and screen. 
These three S's are, is a powerful bait of the devil to fish you, to, to, cap, to, cap, to capture you. These three things are the materials for idolatry. Do you know why the classic Olympics began? It, it was competition to worship Zeus. And South America and Europe, soccer, football is idolatry. Sports makes an enemy of a person who you do not even know. Honduras and Salvador fought a war because of football. And whenever I go to Europe and uh, when on a day of a football match, they go crazy. They're fighting with one another. They're beating each other up. And so we need to see the source of the, the essence of sports. It is a ritual for, for, um, for, it was a ritual for idolatry. And that current, that flow has never changed throughout history. And so let's look at this desire to dominate, this desire for pleasure. And so, oh, but we didn't take out the head of the snake of the desire for, for achievement and for fame. And so open the lid, put the snake in, and close that, close that lid. We've put in three snakes, yes? Now let's look at the fourth snake. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk. And so you want power, you want authority. And in order to take power, you need to kill this guy, but this guy is more powerful than you, and so you can't kill him, so you, you inebriate him. And so that's why this desire for pleasure and this desire to dominate is goes hand in hand. Why do you why do you get drunk? Why do you go into those things? It's so that you can dominate that person. So that you can control that person. And uh, many rulers have one thing in common. They always use sports to to captivate their people. This is the principle of things. No matter which dictator it was, he always used sports to to distract people and to to captivate them. So that he can dominate these people by captivating their hearts using this other thing. This is the strategy that the devil always uses. And so that's why there's danger in your cell phones and in your television sets. And so in the structure of your spirit, there is this thing called the heart, the cardia. And so the spirit has the functions of the intellect, the emotion, and the will. 
And through these functions, we have our mind. And this entire thing, we call it our heart, the cardia. And there is a window to this cardia. Okay, this is all reality. Okay, just as your arm exists and is real, these are all real exist and are real inside of you as well. And this window in the Greek is called the noose. This is really important, so let's look this up. Look at Revelations, chapter 13, 13, 18. Because it's important. Revelations 13:18 says, "This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast." And this word "understanding" here is the word "nous" in Greek. This is not cardia. And so, when apostles talked about the structure of man, they 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 saw the reality of that man. And so. This noose, if this noose is not corrupt, there will be people in these end times who do not have a corrupt noose. And this is another uh, sermon altar itself. And so in these end times, it's those who do not have the corrupt noose who will see the mark of the beast and recognize the mark of the beast. And this noose, if it is receiving the light of the world, gets polluted, gets corrupted. Unbelief, immorality, worldliness. The, because the noose keeps getting corrupted, because of this, uh, all the world will receive the mark of the beast, not knowing that it is the mark of the beast. And so, the cell phones that are in your hands right now is going to make this into you. The TV that you like to enjoy is making that in you. And that TV and cell phone captivates you through this desire for, for pleasure and to dominate. Antichrist is using the cell phone to captivate you, to distract you. Do you think that the Antichrist is going to conquer people because people are resisting him? No. No, everyone's going to welcome him and praise his coming because their noose is so corrupted. And shall we look at another place? One more, pl one more place. Verse 8, chapter 18. Oh, no, verse chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 9. It says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. And here, this calls for a mind. This is the word noose. And so, the, uh, this great prostitute will use those who have the corrupted noose. And but those who have the pure news will know who is the seven heads and will know the Antichrist and will be able to see the Antichrist and be, declare who the Antichrist is. And so ultimately in the glorious church of God, the church will be able to tell you who the Antichrist is. Why? Because their noose is not corrupted. 
God shows them. And so this desire for pleasure keeps um, raising up your desire for cell phones, for entertainment, and you get your noose gets corrupted. And your noose continually gets corrupted. And so you need to understand that this noose is a real part of your soul. Like your arm is a real part of your body, and that is continually getting polluted. And so that's why in our church, it's the rule that until you are an adult, you cannot have a cell phone. And yet the devil keeps infiltrating them and keep making them have cell phones uh, unknowing to us. And so we have punishment for that, that you cannot have a cell phone. And so our children, their spirits are very clean. They can all prophesy because their noose is clean. But when I look at you, your kids, they are looking at cell phones even when they're babies. Their nooses get corrupted. And so look at the strategy of the devil. And so let's hurry up and finish. And so you pour out wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. And so this desire for pleasure is looking for weakness in man, in other people. You are finding weaknesses to blackmail them and to oppress them and to dominate them. This is the system that the world runs on. Do not be captivated by, the war, by sports. Do not be immersed in sex. Do not try to relieve your stress through the screen. Jesus alone captivates our mind and souls. Amen. I see all over the world this Hollywood wave. K-pop is getting popular all over the world. This is really dangerous. These guys are sold their souls to the devil. Look at Michael Jackson. Can a man move like that? This is all spirits taking possession. And so do not be uh, um, captivated by K-pop. I repent for this so much. Because Korea is spreading the spirit of world all over the world. Do not enjoy Korean dramas. This is a substitution for desire of pleasure. That, oh, it would have been nice if I had dated this kind of man. Oh, it would have been nice if I dated that kind of girl. And so then you are not satisfied in God. And we call these uh, people of K-pop idols. Idols. <laughs> 
en, en la palabra idol, ídolo, si eso se traduce, como tal suena, decimos coreano, son una piedra, son rocas. Means that they are idol. So do not be captivated by idols. We need to be captivated by God alone. Jesus, Jesus. As a Korean, it's a shame for me to say this. But what's bad is bad. What is wicked is wicked. And especially young adults, K-pop, K-dramas, do not be captivated by these things. Because then your noose is going to continue to be closed. Your noose gets cloudy. We need to treat holiness as important as our life itself. Amen? Verse 16. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. And so they are deceived. They are deceived thinking that all what they have is, is pleasing them, is securing them. And so you drink, drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. What does this mean? Uncircumcision, show your uncircumcision means that you're showing that oh, we are all sinners, we're all the same. That, hey, we are all evil. We're all weak anyways. That, hey, we are, you and me, we're the same. We are in one boat. And so because we all can blackmail one another, that, hey, you and me, we're the same. But this is deception. What he's doing is he's holding on to his, this blackmail, getting ready to kill him at any moment. And that's why God is judging them. That uh, the cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. And so those who have this desire for, 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 for domination and desire for pleasure will be judged by God. Remember, Israel, God is king over Israel. God was not happy in the kingdom, in the monarchy. And the only king who recognized this was King David. And so when Israel asked God for a king, they are rebelling against God. And so what we need to understand is that no matter what system in this world, it is not a system that fundamentally can please God. Because ultimately it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. For us, we need to be have the king who is Christ, who is the perfect uh, manifestation of love. And so what we hope for is that his kingdom will come, will come soon. And so empty out the desire for pleasure. And especially you pastors, as pastors, whether you are aware of it or not, um, 
you get influenced by this desire for domination. Remember, the world, uh, the church is God's dominion, not your, not your reign. But if you do not live by the Holy Spirit, you try to dominate your church members rather than let God have dominion. And so this pastor, their characteristic is that they get stressed out from their pastoral ministry and they try to relieve that stress through pleasure. So either in sports or in screen or even in sex. And so we need to live by the Holy Spirit and the church must be the dominion of God. It's not me doing something, not me making something. And so pastors, that's why we need to be wary of the spirit of domini domination. And you're going to receive many pressure. Why? Because you're trying to dom dominate people. And, and, so, and then you're going to try to relieve that stress. And so it'll be either be in sports or in the screen or even in sex. And so pastors, listen carefully. There, if you are lost in sports, if you are captivated in screen, then you are trying to dominate your church. This is the principle of things. If you try to dominate your church members, what happens is that at best, that church member becomes your disciple. Not disciple of Jesus, but your disciple. And yet, what most, what's more likely to happen is that they will be hurt, they will be bound, and they will betray you. The desire of domination attracts betrayal. And so if, there, if you have experienced much betrayal and people leaving your church, now of course, even a holy church, there will be lots of people leaving the church. But regarding that, you will not receive hurts if God has reign over your church. But if you are betrayed because of domination, because of the desire for domination, then that pastor will be hurt, will be scarred by that experience. And the church will suffer a great loss. And when people leave, the church is shaken. But in a church where God reigns, and in for the holiness, sometimes God will separate people out and rather, when that person leaves, the church becomes more free. And so, when a church member betrays you, you need to see what's going on spiritually. But either way, if a pastor is strong in the spirit to dominate, there will be, the spirit of betrayal will be activated in that church. And the pastor himself will get lost in desire for pleasure. This is the order of things. And so if you see these things happen in your church, then please repent and turn back. 
because the calling of a pastor means that your standard of holiness is different from that of your church members. I cannot talk all of this right now. And so, be, and so if you cannot um, handle that standard of holiness, then do not be a pastor. Okay, a priest retires at 52. And why do they retire early at 52? Because that's how burdensome the, the ministry of the tabernacle was. Why? Because they have to live their entire lives in the tabernacle. They cannot go out into the world. And so even now, Israel is reclaiming these Levites. And these Levites have a special DNA. They are different from the rest of the tribes of Judah, of, of Israel. There is this DNA for the Kohen. This is calling. And so pastors, it's the same thing. It's about your calling. If you have been called as a pastor, then you need to be able to receive the standard of holiness in joy. But if you compromise with the world and you get influenced by the desire for pleasure, then check, maybe, maybe you do not have the calling. Because pastors have more delicate sensitivity to holiness than a priest. Why? Because priests go into the presence of God's glory in the Holy of Holies. And if they go there in, improperly, they will die. It's the same thing as, as pastors. So what clothes do the priests wear? First they put on their underwear, and then they put on the new robes of new cloth. And then they are wrapped in a blue, blue cloth, and then they put on the ephod. And then on top of that ephod, they, they have the pockets that contain the urim and the thumim. All of these things are symbolisms and representatives of their of his holiness, of his office of holiness. But on the day of atonement, what clothes does the priest wear on that day? He takes all of that off and only puts on the robe of new linen and enters into the Holy of Holies. What does this mean? That as he continually maintains holiness, as he maintains that ministry, now as one, as one being, as one person, in that holiness, he enters into the Holy of Holies. That is how delicate this standard of holiness is to the pastor. So spiritually speaking, You have this office, this position of pastor. And so you have the ephod, and so you worship with the ephod. You're bearing the urim and the thummim, like seeking God's will. But at least once a day, at the very least, you need to lay this office down and lay down the burden of your pastoral ministry 
and as a, as a person come into the Holy of Holies and prostrate yourself before the presence of God and confirm that that holiness is upon you and then when you come out you put on back the, the symbols of your office of your station so pastors have this clear difference from the from that of the lay members. And so if you look at 1 Timothy 3, 1, that one of the requisites for an overseer is to be blameless, that there is no reason for, for blame. That cannot be done out of your efforts. God must call you. You must be pastors in that calling. Not out of your not out of your uh, choice, because this desire for pleasure is very great danger to the pastor. So, so you must not treat movies and sports as not sin. It has to be sin. And so, pastors, especially pastors. Okay, let's take out the head of the snake of desire for pleasure. Open the pot and put it in and close the lid hallelujah the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as with the destruction of the beasts that terrified them for the blood of man and violence to the earth to cities and all who dwell in them and so this domination of animals and creation will also be judged because this desire for domination this desire for pleasure also goes with gluttony so this desire for pleasure even the gluttony that goes with it will be judged now let, lastly let's look at the fifth desire which is the desire for idolatry and so all of these desires that begin with the desire for possession it, 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 it colors you with idolatry and so two men they have this desire for idolatry because what is idolatry is deification of their desires and so those who have these desires of Babylon, the end result is that they will turn God into Baal. Look at Hosea and Amos. They call Baal Elohim. Who, whose name does Elohim belong to? Whose name is Elohim? We said yesterday, right? Our God is Yahweh and Elohim. This is important to understand. If you do not meet with God as Yahweh and Elohim, if you lose the relationship of Yahweh, you only meet with Elohim. That means power. You're only looking for power. So if you keep looking for power, eventually God becomes Baal to you, in you. And so look at Israel, when they were corrupted, everything was Elohim, whether it's Baal or whatever gods is Elohim. 
they and there are many people who do not recognize whether if their God is Baal or if it's Elohim. And so with this desire, eventually, uh, this God, God is only Elohim, there's no Yahweh. And so now He is Baal in you. Uh, this is, will happen. It will happen. If you have this desire, this will happen. If you do not deal with this desire, then eventually God becomes Baal in you. And this is actually the order of things. This is so regular because you call that Baal Elohim. But there's no more Yahweh. You no longer have a relationship with God. His relationship to His holiness, relationship to His love, relationship that respects one another and honors one another, this all gets lost. All you look for is power. As long as I have church members, oh, as long as my finances are rich, that's all you're looking for. And then, so you're looking for fancy, fancy. Just looking for your fame. Then God becomes Baal in you. It's just simply only Elohim, not Yahweh Elohim. Look at that famous revivalist who, in America, Benihin. Benny Hinn gets blessed by Buddhist monks in in, of Tibet of Tibet. Because the Holy Spirit is no longer with him and he has to minister. And so he welcomes in the monks of Tibetan Buddhism and receives power from them. All he looks for is power. And because all he looks for is power. So when you live with the Holy Spirit, the most important thing is knowing how to stop. What does this mean? Is acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is a being. If you are not holy, he will be sad and so he will be angry. If you do not move according to the Spirit of God, he does not like it. And so he has his own characteristic. And this Holy Spirit is like a little child. A child clearly, you can clearly see whether he likes it or hates it, right? And so if you do something that he does not like, he immediately gets upset. He should be in front of us, but you don't know where he is because he is upset. And so then you get lost. But the Father is not like this, or the Son is not like this. The Son is always embracing, always waiting for you. Right? And so their nature is a little bit different. And so we're having fellowship with this Trinity God. Amen? And so as you have fellowship with this Trinity God, you come to realize which aspect is, is you're having fellowship with. It's the God the Father, oh, it's God the Son, oh, it's God the Spirit. And so who do you pray to? Primarily pros towards the Father, right? You are facing towards God the Father. Right, when my children need money, who do they look to? Right, they look to the Father. Right, even if the mother gives, it's the Father who gives, right? But if they look to the mother thinking that the mother is the one who gives, then the Father is going to be a little bit upset, right? 
sense that we pray to God the Father. And who guarantees that prayer? The Son, Jesus Christ. And who testifies to that guarantee? It is the Spirit. So their positions are all different. And so for this fellowship to be uh, explained, I have to preach out of First John. But then go to Pastor Francisco. Okay, so let's continue. And so look at how dangerous this desire for idolatry is. Ultimately, we need to deal with all of these desires. If not, then eventually God becomes Baal in me. So do not look for just power. Don't just look for presence. Just what things you can see, things that are that your fame, your honor, all of these things is presence. What's important is what's indwelling in us. The indwelling spirit. Do not limit the indwelling spirit. Do not let his dominion over you be limited. If then, then the presence will always be, will always come, because I am in him and he is in me. That I am in Him, the Holy Spirit is in me. I am in His presence and his, He is in me. I am in Jesus and I am in the presence of God. And so this dynamic uh, movement of the fellowship. And so the important thing is what dwells in you. What's important is what dwells in you. Do not limit Him who dwells in you. Live according to His leading. And then the presence will be determined by according to your needs by God. And so uh, a preacher who has good presence, no, it doesn't, it, no, uh, sorry, sorry. We're grateful when there's presence. We're grateful whether if the presence isn't there. We're grateful at all times because God is there. Amen. And so let's continue. Let's continue in this desire for idolatry. So what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. And so idol is not alive. And so do not pour out life into it. Do not personify. And so if you look at verse 19, it says, Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. And so fundamentally, idol has no life in it, right? It is not living. But why is Habakkuk using this irony? Is that because you can personify these things that are inanimate. Look at how great man, look at the ability of man. That to an inanimate object, you can personify it. If you pour out your love, your service, your, your devotion, then inside that thing, a demon enters. Money, is it, is it person or is it inanimate? Person, money is an inanimate object, but if you love that money, as it says in Matthew 16, it becomes mammon. What is mammon? Mammon is a demon that, that claims, that, that represents money. And so if you're filled with the desire for possessions, you're going to keep looking at money and keep trying to earn money. 
And money is not what's entering into you, but demon is entering into you. And so that money co corrupts your children. That money corrupts your relationship with your wife. And when that money enters, it's not money entering into you, but demon entering, mammon. Okay, my father was a very rich man. Okay, he came every day with these big sandbags full of money. At that time, he was not a believer of Jesus. And when I think about that time, he did not carry bags of money. He was carrying bags of demons. And so even then, when in my youth, I was going to bars, I was enjoying all kinds of pleasure and debauchery because that demon corrupted me. Now, of course, by the grace of God, I'm now pastor before you because God uh, completely ruined my father so that I could become a pastor. If I still have that money, I'd probably be in Hawaii right now. This is really important. Man, you can personify in on animate things. And that's why we need to love God alone and the people He gives us. Do not love anything else. In Korea, do you know what thing is, is getting the trend these days? Is dogs, is pets. And they, they, they pour out their devotion to these dogs. It, it costs only maybe $20 to cut my hair. But to cut the hair of a dog costs $300, $500. And so whenever I look at the dogs in, in Korea, they are all filled with the spirit of immorality. Almost 100%. They all have the spirit of immorality in them. We should love God and the people He gives us alone. Look at your cell phones, cell phones, cell phones. Is it animate object or is it inanimate? It's inanimate. But if you keep this cell phone close, and keep putting it next to you and pouring out your devotion, then you personify this cell phone. There are many people like this. And so without the cell phone, they're, they're, they're bored. And if no one's sending them a message, then they feel lonely. If no one's, if no one's calling them, they're, they're upset. And so without the cell phone, they're, they're, they're uneasy. They don't know what to do then already they personified this cell phone. And so every day you need to sprinkle your cell phone with the blood of Christ. And so pastors, if you get lost in your cell phones, you cannot pray. Because your, your spiritual screen gets corrupted. And so, in Korea, the average amount of screen time is seven hours in Korea. That means that there are most people spend more than 12 hours. That they cannot survive without the cell phone next to them. And so they, they have this kind of, they sing this kind of song. That's the cell phone is my good shepherd. 
that I shall not want. That he leads me besides green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. That's how they will sing. Is there anyone like this amongst you here in Honduras? And so let's take out this snake of idolatry and open the pot, put it in the pot. Amen. Close the pot. And so lastly, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. And this holy temple is talking about the holy of holies in the heavens. That in, in that holy of holies, he looks upon man. And so we need to live under his dominion, amen? And so all men will be at rest, peace before him. Let all the earth keep silence before him. All will revere him. We should not have any of these desires. We should be able to enter into his holy temple. As it says in Hebrews 4.16, to draw near before his throne of grace. Draw near before his throne of grace. And so those people are who is the ones who remove these desires. And so take out the desire for possession. Take out the desire for security. Take out the desire for fame and for success. Take out the desire for domination and for pleasure. And take out the desire for idolatry. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Let us pray. And so, sprinkle the blood of Christ. Sprinkle the blood of Christ upon these filthy desires. And let them be withered up. Remove these roots. Okay. Hallelujah. Okay, we're going to have ministry at 2.30. We're going to have ministry at 2.30 and receive lots of ministry today. Okay, let's remove, let's receive ministry to remove these desires. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we, you have shown us the root of all evil. And Lord, upon these beloved servants of Honduras, help them to see the source of all wickedness and to fight and win. This evil has started to be revealed. And so Lord, the devil may fight and severely attack them. But Lord, the ultimate victory is in our hands. And so Lord, uh, your will for your servants is to be, for them to be holy. And so, Lord, today, reveal these, the root of, the, of wickedness, of evil. And as they deal with these things, Lord, may many of these servants enter into your glory. Lord, at this time, I proclaim the blood of Jesus. May they be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Blood of Jesus. Let us pray all together.